This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Boy, they say the dog days of summer hit you right around this time in August. That is up until you get injury news, losing streaks, winning streaks, trade demands, Twitter going crazy. So we're going to hit all of that tonight. And let's start right at the top in the open. We'll go full potpourri. And we'll do so beginning in football. Just got hit with some unfortunate breaking news, courtesy of Connor Hughes. He just tweeted out, there is legitimate fear Makai Becton's 2022 season could be over. That is what he is being told. He goes on to say Makai Becton's injury is to his kneecap and patella. Sources tell SNY TV the additional tests are to determine just how severe those injuries are. The fear is that there might be more damage than that. I am so tired of coming across injury-related news every time I see a Makai Becton headline. And we go back to the 2020 draft, and I've been banging on this drum for months now. The first pick for the Jets was Makai Becton. So far in his first two seasons, he's played 15 of 31 games. There were reports about his weight situation during his recovery, him hitting 400 pounds. There was this, you know, he didn't show up to OTAs, what's going on. He was involved in trade rumors. Are the Jets going to take another tackle? And then he comes back and they switch his position to right tackle. George Fant becomes their starting left tackle. The Jets did not draft Makai Becton this high and invest that kind of draft capital into him for him to be a right tackle. He was supposed to be the left tackle. So already demoted before he got back on the field, and today we're learning his season could already be over before we even get to Friday where I was so excited. It sounds ludicrous, but I was so excited about preseason because all these new faces, all these new toys, year two of the quarterback, year two of the head coach. Makai Becton coming back. And now we are being inundated with more injury news about a guy who was supposed to be a game-changing franchise left tackle. Particularly important when you are trying to do everything in your power to groom your franchise quarterback in, in Zach Wilson. So that right there is significant. We'll continue to keep you updated on this story, but not good news at all. If you are the New York Jets. Wow. Remember a year ago, and it happened during the preseason, but all excited about Carl Lawson. He was he was having a phenomenal camp. The Jets finally getting that edge rusher. Then he tore his Achilles. So back-to-back training camps, preseasons, where the Jets are hit with, a significant injury to someone of high importance, a guy who can be a a huge difference maker. So, so disappointed. Meanwhile, the Giants, they'll be in action on Thursday. And I did come across some audio I'm going to play for you later, but there is some optimism emanating from... The giant side of things as far as you know, Saquon Barkley, all we, all we talk about is Daniel Jones and you know this being a do-or-die year for him. But Saquon Barkley, 
seems to be have been forgotten about. Drafted number two overall in 2018, had a phenomenal season rushing for north of 2,000 yards. But since then, he's just been bitten by the injury bug. But today I'm listening to the Michael K show. We'll hear from Mike Tannenbaum on you know, how he feels Saquon Barkley can emerge this year and be a difference maker. And if that's the case, it completely changes the entire landscape for the Giants. Daniel Jones not having to play hero ball. You getting a legitimate running back option in Saquon Barkley who can open up the offense, especially when it comes to Brian Dayball being such an astute offensive mind. Having that attack aid your young quarterback who you continue to want to groom, that's going to be significant. So we'll talk Jets, we'll talk Giants. We move to baseball. How about those Mets? How about those New York Mets? We play today, we win today, and that is the case for Starling Marte and the New York Mets. 5-1 to the final score in City Field as they take down the Cincinnati Reds. And for the Mets, if you want to get a, a little bit of an encapsulation of the job Billy Epler has done rebuilding this team, here's all you need to know. This is a microcosm of what this Met season has been as far as the value Billy Epler has provided. Here was the offense tonight. Starling, Starling Marte, two-run shot in the first inning. Vogelback, RBI single in the third. A Naquin two-run triple. That's the Met offense tonight. Well, how was the pitching? Pretty good. Chris Bassett, eight innings, eight strikeouts, one earned run. Adam Advino came in and closed it down. So the Mets, another win. And this comes after they took four or five from the Braves this past weekend. On June 1st, I declared that the NL East division race was over. That officially slash unofficially was cemented this past weekend when the Mets really took it to them. And I guess you could argue could have swept them because the only game they lost, it was Taiwan Walker, who has been magnificent for them this year, having the single worst start of his season. All they needed for him to do was be bad, and they would win that, they would win that game. But he was uh, atrocious. And unfortunately, they succumbed to that Atlanta Braves offensive attack and still had a chance to win that game late. Canna came up in the seventh inning with a chance to tie the game, but fell short. The Mets took 4-5 or five from Atlanta. They take the first game of this series against Cincinnati. And lo and behold, guess who has a better record than my New York, New York Yankees right now? That would be the New York Mets, 71-39. and 39. The Mets now in sole possession of the second best record in not just the National League, but in all of baseball. Now, part of that is because the Yankees have not yet thrown a pitch tonight that game underway in about a couple of minutes in Seattle. Jamison Tyon on the mound against Logan Gilbert. So with a with win, the Yankees would again tie them. They both started the, the day at 70-39. and 39, But it's a, a tale of two tapes with two teams, identical records, but it feels like they're just going in different directions. The Mets all of a sudden... So good that my guy Dave Rothenberg went on his morning show today and said they should be the favorites to win the title, which, I mean, kind of blows my mind just a little bit. Can we win a playoff game first 
Can we have that happen first before we start declaring them as the favorites to win the championship? But that just shows you how good they've been this year, where they are now, and with the likes of DeGrom and Scherzer and Bassett and Carrasco and Taiwan Walker, and then that high-powered offense where the Mets can ultimately get to, what their ceiling is. And then now having a guy who looks like he might be the best closer in baseball than Edwin Diaz, pitching to a 1-3-9 ERA this season. So that's the Mets. The Yankees looking to snap a five-game losing streak, the longest losing streak of the season. And I heard some, I, I, I heard someone earlier say, like a caller when I was driving, good teams don't get no hit. Good teams don't look this poorly. And then I look at the standings, and I'm like, wait, the Yankees still have the second-best record in baseball, best record in the American League. Second best run differential overall, plus 201. Commanding lead in the AL East. MVP of the league, Aaron Judge. I get it. It's frustrating to watch them look this pedestrian when you compare it to how thunderous they were when they started the season being compared to that 98 team. But then you also got to remember Anthony Rizzo has been out. Giancarlo Stanton has been out. Those are two of their three best hitters, at least as far as power is concerned. Luis Severino going to the I.L. So part of it is, yes, they, 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 they've just stunk it up. Base running blunders. Errors. Not coming through with runners in scoring position. As LeMahieu starts this game off with, with the leadoff single. And this past series where they were swept by the Cardinals was particularly frustrating because it was every single game that they lost, those games they won in the first half of the season. One run lead with four outs left to go in the game, that's a done deal for the Yankees in the first half. Clay Holmes bowls it. Saturday night, nationally televised. Excellent starting pitching. one nothing loss. They muster two hits. And then yesterday, their offense was amazing. What, they score nine runs yesterday? Nine runs. Every time that happened for the first half Yankees, there was no doubt about it they were winning that game. But unfortunately, Frankie Montas and his debut just didn't have it. And I was thinking about this. Was it nerves? Can we just simply point to him being nervous about it being his first start as a Yankee. And the initial thought is, yes, maybe that's it, because he's not as bad as he was yesterday. But then as I continue to, to, to dive deeper into that thought, how does that make me feel any better? Every single start he has going forward the rest of the season is going to be bigger than the previous one. And the Yankees aren't going to make it a big deal, but that number one overall seed in the American League is highly important. That's important. The Astros right now in the standings are just one game back in the loss column. Tied in the win column, one game back in the loss column, and we know that they, they 
tormented the Yankees all season. They own that season series. And would you look at, would you look at that? The MVP of the league goes Apple for a double. Runners on second and third, nobody out for the Yankees. But I don't know if I feel good about us just attributing what happened yesterday to the newly newly acquired Frankie Montas as nerves. I I don't know if I feel good about that because the Yankees are going to be playing big games the rest of the way. We don't need you to be nervous. We need you to be ready for the moment. Because even if Garrett Cole is electric, even if he returns to being one of the best pitchers in baseball, you still need assistance from the rest of your rotation, and the Yankees simply don't have that right now. Looked pretty good so far, but these aren't the first half Yankees we're talking about. Matt Carpenter at the plate right now, runners on second and third. And the story that is probably the most fresh, one near and dear to my heart as Larry, toward the end of his open, talked about, and that was, I'm sorry, toward the end of his show talked about, and that is Kevin Durant. He has not wavered on his stance. When we return, I will tell you why. There are so many people getting this story wrong that it almost makes me feel y'all must be trolling. We're going until midnight tonight. Ty D. Butler on Twitter, 800-919-3776. Yankees, Mets on the table. Mets get another win tonight. That division race is over. All of a sudden, you look up at the standings, uh, just six games back of the Dodgers for the best record in the National League. Does that become interesting? Does that become a race toward the end of the year? Now, the Dodgers right now have won eight straight, but Kershaw on the IL, who knows? The Wounded Warriors, can the Mets make that a legitimate race to the finish line? Yankees looking to snap that five-game losing streak. Losing streak should have been snapped Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all were losses that in the first half of the season were wins. So we'll talk about the Yankees, continue to update you on this game in Seattle. Jets dealing with some tough injury news with Makai Becton. We'll recap the the performance Zach Wilson had in the green and white scrimmage and today uh, what he did in in 11-on-11. Talk some Giants as well, but when we get back, I'll tell you why so many people are getting this Karen Durant story wrong. And we'll do it all right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. But on the Kevin Durant stuff, earlier today, Sean Sharania reported that he once again met with Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, and made it pretty clear. He had no desire to waive his trade request and took it a step further and said, it's either me or Sean Marks and Steve Nash. So Kevin Durant ultimatum, trade me. If you don't trade me, fire Steve Nash, fire Sean Marks. And the instant reaction to this was obviously going to be well, NBA players, all that power they have, the Nets need to take control of their organization. You cannot allow these players 
to ruin all the success you've had over the last seven. Wait, hold up. That's right. The Nets, how many playoff series have they won the last seven years? One. That one playoff series was against the Celtics last year when they had Durant, Harden, and Kyrie Irving. All this Nets hype and success was cute because D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen were able to give you more than what you had expected as far as winning in the regular season. But it was not a team that was ever going to be anything close to a championship contender. They were never going to be that. So once the summer of 2019 came, and here you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving expressing interest in playing for your organization, it's something that you obviously had to jump at. And since then, it hasn't netted the results, no pun intended, that you would have hoped for because it has just been one playoff series win with these two Hall of Famers and then throw James Harden in there. But the idea that you're going to punt on Kevin Durant, who still at worst is the third best player in the league behind Giannis and maybe LeBron, punting on him because you want to continue to employ Steve Nash and Sean Marks. And and by the way, this is not a shot at Sean Marks because I think he's done a really good job rebuilding this organization. I mean, the trade with the Celtics uh, for, for Paul Pierce, KG, and Jason Terry was just such a monumental disaster by Billy King, and it put them in such a hole. Their ability to get out of it so quickly despite not having high-end draft picks and not having guys want to come play here an admirable job. But if the question is who's more valuable to your organization, Kevin Durant or Sean Marks and Steve Nash, then it's pretty obvious that it's a guy who the worst case is the third best player in basketball. I would argue he's the best player in basketball, one of the top 15 players of all time. Nets fans out there, I mean, it's frustrating to to deal with all this drama and a lot of it feels unnecessary because the the Kyrie Irving, and we'll get to him in a moment, hit the, the vaccination situation just could have been avoided. But I, I can't, I, I'm not a net fan, but I, I would never be able to look myself in the face if I sat out there and said, you know what, here's one of the greatest players of all time. Let's trade him away because I I value our GM head coach combination that literally has never won anything so much more than I value him. I think it's ludicrous. All Kevin Durant did in his first year with the Nets, coming off the torn Achilles, was give you 27, 7, 5 and a half on 53, 45, 88 splits. All he did last year, and by the way, that he led that team to the two seed. They then went to the playoffs, dusted the Celtics, went up 2-0 on the Bucks, and then unfortunately succumbed to injuries. Durant was sensational without Kyrie and Harden in that game. Harden was hobbled, but without Kyrie in that game, five gave you a 50-point triple-double, nearly hit a buzzer beater to win game seven at home, but his shoe size was just a little too big. 
And then last year, before he got hurt, the Nets were the number one seed. And he just gave you a ho-hum 30 points, 7.5 rebounds, 6.4 assists on 51, 38, and 91 splits. And that's the guy you want to trade because you're prioritizing the genius duo that is Sean Marks and Steve Nash. Get the bleep out of here. Stop it. Is it ideal to have Durant publicly request a trade? No. Is it ideal to have had him play three horrendous games in the playoffs against the Celtics before he woke up a little bit in game four, but it was just too much too late? Not ideal. Would it be better if he chose a different running mate and not Kyrie Irving? I said more on him in a moment. Here's that moment. Kyrie Irving is one of the biggest reasons the Nets are in this situation right now. Started with, I would say, an assist in getting Kenny Atkinson fired. Kenny Atkinson, who was a solid head coach, a really good head coach, highly respected around the league. Getting him fired and bringing in a a novice in Steve Nash, who at many times you wondered, was he actually Jason Garrett? Because all we did was was see him clapping on the sidelines. Was he Jason Garrett? Because he looked clueless. And any time the Nets gave up a 15-0 run, it was butt slaps and clapping for, for Steve Nash. No in-game adjustments, nothing to rectify what was the, the disaster that was happening. Just him clapping. Come on, guys. Didn't do anything. So Kyrie and and KD both deserve blame for the head coaching situation because none of that happens without them condoning it. But look, coaches get replaced and fired all the time. You just better hope it works out, and so far it hasn't worked out for Nash. And then after that, they get a coach, and Kyrie's on and KD's on a podcast, and Kyrie's like, I don't even think we need a coach. I can coach, KD can coach. We can all coach. And for a guy who is is actually smart, Kyrie's not a dumb guy. He's a a smart guy. He's someone who's won a championship, experienced a heartbreaking loss in the finals in 2015 because he, one of the reasons why is because he was hurt. Went through that 3-1 comeback alongside LeBron in 2016. You would think that with his, but people always bring up championship pedigree and experience. It's because you understand the sacrifice and the intellect that is needed to get your team to a championship. And Kyrie was front and center to that. Hit probably the biggest shot in NBA history. You would expect him to have an understanding of everything that it takes for a team to buy in, especially with guys who've never played together. And it just feels like he's tried to elude that. He wants to be the guy. He he wants everything to happen on his own watch. So the, the the firing of Kenny Atkinson, the comments about not needing a coach. Then last year, look, you the vaccination thing. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's on you. As as a human being, as someone who is given the right to make whatever they whatever choice they want to make, totally respect that. But. When you're a professional athlete playing on a team and it's bigger than you 
and there are aspirations of winning a championship, I I say that you have to be all in. And part of being all in is doing what needs to be done to make yourself available. Jamison Tyone coming into this game tonight, as I give you an update on a Yankee score, had allowed 10 home runs in his last eight games. Make that 11 home runs in his last nine games. So the Yankees give him two runs. And just like last night, pitching staff doing an excellent job just giving it right back. But back to Kyrie Irving. You got to be all in. And not allowing yourself to be available in a season where like you're coming off of being injured the year before. Now it's go time. I've got to lock in. We need all of our guys to be available. And because of that, because of his inability to do that, chases James Harden out of town. So Kenny Atkinson gone, James Harden gone. Two guys that could have helped you win a championship. Two guys that, if they were still here, maybe we're not talking about you winning just one playoff series in three years. Anyone out there disagree with me? Disagree with me. I, I get the natural inclination to to want to appease the fan base and you know restore order within the organization by keeping Sean Marks and Steve Nash. But when's the next time you're getting a Kevin Durant? How close are you to winning a championship if you're trading Kevin Durant? You're not very close. So if, they, if the idea is to regain respect and establish organization cachet in the court of public opinion, then go ahead and do it. But if it's, I'm going to do everything in my power to get this right so that we can win a championship, and then maybe, just maybe, in the end, it'll all be worth it. We'll forget about all the shenanigans. If I can get Durant, Irvin, Simmons, Warren, Mills, Joe Harris back. If I can get all these guys on the court healthy, I think we're as good as anybody. But if I'm trading Kevin Durant, when's the next time we're even getting to the playoffs? Because the package is not going to be what you think it is. And everyone's obsessed with draft picks. The fact that Kevin Durant has publicly requested a trade and is telling you he won't be here if you still continue to employ your GM and head coach, you're losing all the leverage. So I don't know, call me crazy, but I'm not trading Kevin Durant. I'm not trading one of the 15 greatest players of all time. I'm not trading a top three consensus player in his prime coming off a year where he just averaged 37 and a half and six. And we were the one seed when he was healthy. I'm just not doing it. You disagree with me? Hit me up on Twitter at Ty D Butler. T-Y-D-B-U-T-L-E-R. Hit me up on Instagram as well. 800-919-3776. We'll get to your phone calls coming up on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Let's get to your phone calls. Batting leadoff tonight is Jabril. He is calling from Hackensack. Jabril, what's up, man? Talk to me. Hey, what's up, Ty? Yo, what's Um, good? Yes, I want to ask you a few questions to start off. All right, let's do it. When Kevin Durant and uh, uh, what is Kyrie came to the Nets, what did they talk about then when they were talking about then their press conference? Were they not talking about the culture? Or the culture about of the Nets. The, yeah, they love yeah. the culture. They love the uh, coach. And and before 
the nets were that were better like that. Who was the GM that took over that brought the nets back from the purgatory? Sean Marks. Okay. So Sean Marks is a good GM. He is. He's a great GM, right? Yes. Because he did something that nobody else could do. He changed the nets back to con- a little bit of a good team. Now, he wants the same Sean Marks. Who pulled off the deal for, for what's his name, that went to Philly? Um, James Harden. James Harden. That pulled, that got both of them there. They were the same people who got Jared Allen traded to Cleveland because oh. they want their body. DeAndre Jordan. Yep. You understand? Right. So now he wants the same GM to be fired for him. If I were the owner, I would take a look back and see, was Sean Max doing a good job before they came? Absolutely. So if he's the best player in the world, he doesn't come and end with him. Teams have won without stars as big as him. Even he had to leave Oklahoma to go to Golden State to win. You understand? So if that's the case, let him go. Find something else. Yeah, but he see, that's... be lucky enough to find someone else. That's the problem, Jabril. If he doesn't want to stay there, if he doesn't want to be there, fine, let him go. That's the problem, Jabril, and I, I appreciate the phone call. Uh, you made a lot of salient points. It was, and I don't, and that's why I started by saying I'm not going to be unfair to Sean Marks. He's done an excellent job. It's just, it's just a circumstance that is unenviable if you're the owner. Because, yes, Sean Marks, while the resume has been good and he's helped them get back to relevancy, he is the guy who signed Durant and Irving and traded for Harden. Like he, he, is, he deserves a lot of credit. It's just when it comes down to valuable GM versus one of the best players in the league, it's hard to argue choosing the GM. Because you say teams have won championships without stars as big as Durant. And I want to know the list of those teams. Let's just go back. Steph Curry. Folks are now saying he's one of the 10 best players of all time. They just The Warriors just won a title. The year before that, Giannis with the Bucks. Folks argue he's the best player in the league right now. 2019, Kawhi Leonard with the Raptors. One of the best players in the league. We have 17 and 18 with Durant. We've got 16 with LeBron. How far do we have to go back before we get to a team winning a championship without a top five player? 2014, I guess you could argue. I, I don't even know if Kawhi was there. I know Kawhi got the finals MVP, but I, I would still say Duncan was their best player. 12 and 13 with LeBron, 11 with Dirk. 9 and 10 with Kobe. Like, how far are we going back until we get to, well, this team won a championship without one of the five best players in the league? Maybe 04. It just doesn't happen. So it is, like, the the league is what it is. You need one of the best players in the league to win a title, and that's why they assume all this power. It's as simple as that. Steven in the car wants to chat. What's up, Steven? Hey, I just want to talk about Mekhi Beckin. First off, I feel I feel for the kid. It's a tough injury, 
But if you looked at what happened over the course of the last 14 months, the dude was out of shape. He came in 35 pounds overweight into minicamp. He barely, barely, barely um, made it through training camp. And now I was actually at camp today, and I saw him tweak that right knee. But it's just a darn shame, man, because he wasn't committed to the sport. He wasn't committed to one jet drive, and he wasn't committed to his teammates. And it's not a shocker that you're going to lose him for the year. And now you got to go sign the veteran big Dwayne Brown and bring him in, and you got to move – you got to move George Fant to right tackle, and now you're in scramble mode with your second-year quarterback and Zach Wilson out of Brigham Young. Yeah, Stephen. I mean, it, it's just—it's yeah, it, just out of control. It, and it is also, uh, and I appreciate the call. You know, one of the reasons why I, I keep going back into that 2020 draft, and we all love love Joe Douglas. He was given raving reviews coming out of this draft and what he was able to do, you know, maneuvering with Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson uh, and, you know, Jermaine Johnson, um, Brees Hall. Like, he—2020, when you have Becton, so far has been a bust. So far, Becton's been a bust. He's played 15 of 31 games. He can't get on the field. When he was on the field, he was— an elite left tackle. Brian Baldinger, you know, putting together those montages on Twitter, breaking down plays where he's just completely erasing defensive linemen. He was on his way to being a star. And then you bring up the whole weight issue. Like, I, I, I don't really like to toe the line of psychoanalyzing and, you know, talking about things that are, that are immeasurable, like a guy's commitment, a guy's heart and will. But if it is fair to question how committed you were to your craft, if in the midst of rehabbing and trying to get back on the field, we keep hearing reports about you reaching four hundred pounds. Now, folks would argue it's like it's hard when you have a knee injury to not gain weight because there's only but so much you can do as far as weight training and cardio. I get it, but it's just a bad look. It's a terrible look, and it sucks that he's got that he got injured. It's not something that we can blame him for. It's not like he wants to be hurt. I'm sure he wants to be out there. It's just a crappy situation to be in if you're the Jets because you thought the solution was moving him over to right tackle, Fant goes to left tackle, and now you've built your offensive line to, as best as you can, protect Zach Wilson going into a critical year two. And the whole Dwayne Brown situation, at first we thought it was, you know, him coming in as a backup, just some insurance because the Jets were pretty light at the tackle position. And we know offensive linemen, <laughs> pretty much every every position, there's a lot, there are a lot of injuries. And the Jets have had their share of injuries at that, that, at that group. And now Dwayne, Dwayne Brown looks more like a necessity than he is an insurance policy. So it's tough. It's tough. More conversation about the Jets coming up. We'll talk about Zach Wilson and how he looked today. And, you know, the it's going to be a daunting task ahead. But when you're drafted second overall, this is what the expectation is. It's not going to be easy. We'll talk more about the Jets, get back to the Nets as well, keep you updated on the Yankees. They're still up 2-1 to one right now in Seattle. Still reacting to a Mets victory. 5-1 over the Reds. They've now won 8 of 10 games, scratching and clawing their way, maybe possibly, to the top of the National League.
Now, it doesn't help that the Dodgers are on an eight-game winning streak, but who knows? Still got a month and a half left of the season. Can the Mets get that one seed in the National League? The fact that we're having this conversation in early August has to excite you as a Met fan. We'll take more of your calls coming up. Ty Butler going until midnight right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Before we get to, before we get back to the phone calls, I came across this earlier. So I was listening to the Jeter promo coming out of the break. So apparently this Sunday, Jeter is going to be on the K-Rod cast with Michael and A-Rod in studio. That's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yankees, Red Sox in Fenway Park. Little Derek Jeter in studio with Michael K and Alex Rodriguez. And A-Rod has been a, a, a topic of conversation because he's been featured a lot in the Jeter documentary. Discussions about the you know situation they had, the drama, the envy, the, the quotes, him coming to the Yankees. Jeter just didn't understand at first like what was his motive, switching positions. If he, if, if he was a, a starting shortstop and he was that good putting up the numbers he did, why would you want to come to New York and change positions? And A-Rod's like, I wanted to win. So should be really interesting to watch uh, the three of those guys in the studio on Sunday night on the K-Rod cast. Looking forward to that. Victor in Melville wants to check in about the Nets. What's up, Victor? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing very I well. Just, What's up, man? Hey, I just want to say I disagree with your opinion on uh, the fact that you believe uh, KD should – Stay. Why is that? In the, why? Because um, he's he's erratic, man. You, you can't let him dictate the general manager. Marks is a good GM. Yeah, Katie's a, a an all time great player. So good. Yeah, GM. but he has a he has a four year contract that he has to play for too. Does he? I mean, we, yeah. see, we see now that the contracts really don't matter as much in the NBA. Guys okay, under so contract re- request trades and pretty much get what they want. But that's if there's a trade available. It doesn't appear that there's a trade available it's right now for him. It's not that there's not a trade available. It's to the Nets' liking, what they're asking for. When right. See, that's what, well, that's what I meant. That's yeah, what I meant, to so their liking. It's going to be – their asking price is going to have to come down. Like, when you see Rudy Gobert go for five first-rounders, which was a mind-boggling trade by the Timberwolves. I don't know what they were thinking. Right. But when that that – Upsets the market. So now you wonder, what what is Kevin Durant worth if Rudy Gobert is going for five first-rounders? All right, I put myself as the owner. Um, I'm not letting them go unless I get some, get what I want for it. You know what I mean? No, I feel you. I understand. But it's, it's, and, and what, what is what is, what's the next going to look like four or five years ago when they need general managers and, and, and they see that uh, the players dictate – Who's general manager? The players are running the shot. Uh, listen, it's a GM job. It's highly covered. I appreciate the call, Victor. It's they'll they'll be able to get a GM. I'm not worried about there being some you know situation where no one wants to come be the GM because of what happened. Hour number two coming up next. More of your phone calls. Yankees next. Knicks, Giants, Mets. Josh Donaldson just hit a home run. So the Yankees now up three one. We'll return in a moment. 98.7 ESPN.
This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.